On May 17, 2022, Congress held the first public hearing on UFOs for the first time in over 50 years. More than 50 years ago, the U.S. government ended Project Blue Book, an effort to catalog objects in the air that could not otherwise be explained. The purpose was clear, to shed the stigma that UFO sightings have within the government. A stigma that started when Project Blue Book stated that all UFO sightings have a logical explanation, such as swamp gas, ball lightning, and weather balloons. There is nothing in Air Force files that come to a conclusion that spaceships have visited the Earth. And this conclusion didn't set well with a lot of people. The stigma associated with UAPs has gotten in the way of good intelligence analysis. Pilots avoided reporting or were laughed at when they did. Such as Commander Fravor, who personally chased a tic-tac-shaped UFO that jammed his radar before zipping over 60 miles away in an instant. It rapidly accelerated in front of us and disappeared. The controller came up and said, sir, you're not going to believe this, but that thing is at your cat point roughly 60 miles away in less than a minute. You can calculate the speed. And Ryan Graves, an F-18 pilot, who squadron began detecting UFOs that they described as a dark gray cube inside of a clear sphere that hovered in place. I'm sorry, dark gray or black cubes? Yes, inside yeah. of a clear sphere. And due to the stigma around UFOs, Graves claims that roughly 95% of all UFO sightings in the military likely go unreported. I would estimate we're somewhere near 5% reporting. So 95% basically don't report seeing UAPs. That's just my personal estimate. Which you can imagine, if true, is a major security risk if our own military personnel are too afraid to report seeing advanced craft in our own airspace that may or may not be ours. That's why in 2022, Congress started a new task force to start looking more seriously into the UFO topic, which they were now calling UAP or Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon. UAPs are unexplained, but they are real. They need to be investigated, and many threats they pose need to be mitigated. The two men in charge of this new UAP task force, Scott Bray and Ronald Moultrie. Secretary Moultrie, Mr. Bray, thank you for coming today. And if you're like one of the thousands of people who tuned into this hearing yourself, you probably couldn't help but feel this overwhelming sense that these two guys seem to know almost nothing about the vast history that UFOs have in this country. The gentlemen who are heading up that program for the Pentagon couldn't spell UFOs, much less UAP. Yet they're the ones supposedly in charge of UAP intelligence. You are a science fiction fan, is that correct? Yes, I have followed science fiction. I have gone to conventions, even I'll say it on the record. And rather than discussing any of the well-known and very well-documented cases going all the way back to the 1940s, the video they revealed to Congress was a shaky cell phone video that showed a quick blur that even they had a hard time pointing out on the video. You see here uh, is um, in a U.S. Navy uh, training range. The laptop we're working with uh, is yeah. not is easy for us stopping that video at the right spot. The hearing then reached its climax when Mr. Gallagher, a congressman from Wisconsin, asked these two men if they knew anything about the 1967 UFO incident at Malmstrom Air Force Base. There have been UAP observed flying over sensitive military facilities. One such incident allegedly occurred at Malmstrom Air Force Base. I'm simply asking you whether you're aware of it and whether you have any comment on the accuracy of that report. To which they responded by saying, that data is not uh, within the holdings of the UAP task force. Okay, but are you aware of the, the report? I have heard stories, I have not seen the official data. Shocked by what he was hearing, Gallagher then scolded these two guys for how little they seemed to know about such a high-profile incident. Well, I would say, I mean, it's a pretty high-profile incident. I don't claim to be an expert on this, but that's out there in the ether. You're the guys investigating it. I mean, if, who else is doing it? 
Likely in an effort to save face, Moultrie then responded by saying that nobody had officially brought this case to their attention. If something was officially brought to our attention, we would look at it. Uh, the, I'm bringing it to your attention. Sure, so. This is pretty official. And the interaction ended when Moultrie then blamed their lack of knowledge on the case on their lack of resources. There are probably a lot of leads that we would have to follow up on. I don't think we have resources to do that right now. So why was Gallagher so passionate about the Malmstrom Air Force Base incident to begin with? Turns out it's because that incident in particular highlights a clear pattern that started to emerge regarding UFOs. That ever since the end of World War II, which ended with the invention of the nuclear bomb, there's been a clear uptick in flying saucer sightings near nuclear installations. After the detonation of the atomic bombs in Japan, that's when the UFO sightings ramped up. For instance, in 1944, there's reports of a large oval-shaped UFO about the size of three aircraft carriers hovering over the Air Force Base in Hanford, Washington, where they were developing plutonium for the first nuclear bombs. Fighter jets were even scrambled to chase off this UFO. Then, a few years later in 1947, you've got the infamous flying saucer that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico, and in 1948, several mysterious craft described as flying disks started appearing over the Los Alamos Atomic Lab in New Mexico, formerly recognized as the birthplace of the atomic bomb. In fact, these UFOs were showing up so often that by 1952, over 1,500 UFO sightings had been reported, 250 of which happened in July of that same year alone, when actual fleets of flying saucers were seen hovering over the White House two weekends in a row. We have received and analyzed between one and 2,000 reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. And even more alarming, according to documents later released through the Freedom of Information Act, at least 20% of those 1,500 sightings defied any logical explanation. And despite the fact that nobody had any idea who was behind these UFOs, the vast majority of these sightings were happening near nuclear bases, indicating that whoever they were definitely have an active interest in our nuclear weapons. And in the case of the Malmstrom incident from 1967, the one that Gallagher was so passionate about, these UFOs were even tampering with the nuclear warheads themselves. Now, Malmstrom is made up of two different sites, Echo Flight and Oscar Flight, with each site housing 10 Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, or ICBMs for short. These missiles were kept 60 feet underground and were designed to be able to launch into space and deliver a nuclear strike on the opposite side of the globe within minutes by traveling at speeds of up to 15,000 miles an hour. And on the night of the infamous UFO incident, Robert Salas was a missile launch officer who was working underground. Good afternoon, my name is Robert Salas. In 1967, I was stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana. When he received a strange call from one of the guards who was patrolling above ground. Sometime in the evening hours on March 24th, I received a call from one of my topside guards stating that they had been observing strange lights in the sky, making odd maneuvers. And since it was dark, it was hard to tell if these were individual craft or lights outlining a larger craft. At first, Salas didn't know how to respond, so he laughed it off by saying, you mean like UFOs? To which the guard responded, well, it's not an airplane. I kind of dismissed the call. He called back about five minutes later. This time he was screaming into the phone saying they're looking at a red glowing object hovering just above our front gate. That's when it happened. Alarms started to go off as one by one, each one of the 10 ICBMs started to go offline. While this object was still hovering over our site, our missiles began going into what's called a no-go condition or unlaunchable. Essentially, they were disabled. Meaning that if the president wanted to launch a nuclear strike right at that moment, they simply wouldn't have been able to. And to make matters even 
even more mysterious, there's no logical explanation for all 10 of them going off at the same time because each one of the ICBMs was designed to operate completely independent of the others. I want to emphasize that the security people upstairs had no ability to affect any kind of system shutdown on our missiles. All the control systems were underground. After a few minutes, the UFO disappeared and the soldiers were able to start assessing the damage. Turns out the guidance systems on every one of the missiles malfunctioned, so they just needed to be reset. We reset the security alarms, but the missiles themselves were still disabled. The main indication we got from our equipment was this was a guidance and control system failure. The next day, Salas, along with the other soldiers who witnessed the UFO themselves, were forced to sign NDAs and promised that they would never speak of this again. And I didn't talk about it. Until 1994, I was able to come across a paragraph in a book called Above Top Secret by Timothy Good. And on page 301 of that book, there's a short paragraph about missiles being shut down while UFOs were overhead. At that point, I felt I was able to come forward and start talking about it. Here's where it gets crazy. Echo Flight, the other site at Malmstrom, had an almost identical incident only eight days before the one at Oscar Flight, when a mysterious UFO had shut down all 10 of their missiles too. It wasn't until later I found out that not only our flight had gone down, but Echo Flight also went down about a week earlier on March 16th. Years later, shocking FOIA documents were released showing that just one year before both Malmstrom incidents, a flying saucer was seen directly scanning a nuclear bomb at Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. Minot Air Force Base, North Dakota, which happened in August of 1966, very similar UFOs sighted over missile silos that was investigated by the Air Force immediately after our incident within a week. The next day, Captain David Schindel was sent out to debrief the crew members who had seen the UFO, and here's what he said about the incident. We were told by the site manager that an object had been sighted out of the windows with flashing lights, and it was probably about 80 to 100 feet in diameter. It then went to their main gate where it hovered, and when we debriefed the underground launch crew, they indicated that all the missiles they controlled had gone off alert at the time that the object had been hovering next to the main gate. And like Robert Salas, Captain Schindel was also told by his commander that he was never to speak of this event again. In fact, it wasn't until he saw Robert Salas openly talking about his incident that Schindel decided to finally come forward with the secret that had been eating away at him for years. Good morning. My name is David Schindler. In 2001, I found an article describing Robert Salas' incident. The, in the incident that he had was almost identical to the one I had. And when I saw that, I said, oh my God. And I finally was able to tell my wife my secret. Thanks, Robert, for helping me out. But this next case really keeps me up at night because what happened and the footage that came with it seems like something straight out of a science fiction film. The incident took place in Big Sur, California, where Lieutenant Robert Jacobs was stationed in the 60s. At the time, he was the officer in charge of photo instrumentation, and his job was basically to film test missile launches coming out of Vandenberg Air Force Base. It was my duty to supervise the photography of every missile that went down the Western Test Range. What we photographed up there affected me for the rest of my life. Using a high-powered telescopic camera, Jacobs basically would just keep the missile in frame while it was launching. That way, film analysts could later look at the footage to monitor various aspects of the launch. That's when, in the fall of 1964, after a seemingly routine launch, Jacobs was randomly told to report to the office of Major Mansman, a film analyst at Vandenberg Air Force Base. I don't know exactly how long it was after the event. It might have been a day or two. I was called into Major Mansman's office. Now, this request was a little strange and it caught Jacobs off guard, so he showed up the next day 
not really knowing what to expect. I walked into his office and they had a screen and a 16 millimeter projector set up. Major management said sit down and there were two guys, as I recall, in gray suits, which was fairly unusual. And without any explanation, Major Mansman walked over to the projector, turned it on and said, watch this. And I watched the screen and there was the launch from the day or two before at Big Sur. Into the frame came something else. It flew into the frame like this and it shot a beam of light at the warhead. Remember, all this stuff is flying at several thousand miles an hour. And then this thing flies up like this, fires another beam of light, goes around like this, fires another beam of light, goes down like this, fires another beam of light, and then flies out the way it came in. And the warhead tumbles out of space. The lights came on and Major Mansman then asked Jacobs, what was that? And I said, it looks to me like we got a UFO. And he said, Lieutenant Jacobs, you are never to speak of this again. It never happened. Years later, after retiring from the Air Force, Major Mansman caught up with Jacobs and he told him that after Jacobs left that day, those two men in suits confiscated the only copy of the footage they had. Luckily, before those two men took the footage, Mansman had the chance to do his own analysis of the film and he analyzed it frame by frame using a magnifier, which apparently allowed him to see all the fine details on the craft. Here's what Mansman wrote about it. The shape was a classic disc. The center seemed to be a raised bubble. The entire saucer shape was glowing and seemed to be rotating slowly. At the point of beam release, the object turned like it was required to be in a position to fire from a platform. Major Mansman, who was a very good reader of film, said that the feeling at the time was that it must have been extraterrestrial. Now, at this point, you could probably tell that these weren't just random conspiracy theorists seeing lights in the sky. These were highly trained military personnel paid by tax dollars who each had firsthand experiences seeing these UFOs and were later told to stay quiet about it. Yet, despite the credibility of these reports, let alone the implications of them if true, in 1969, the Air Force officially closed down Project Blue Book. And the statement they released said, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force has ever given any indication of threat to our national security. In other words, they were basically just saying, yes, these things exist. No, we can't explain them, but it's probably nothing to worry about, so we're just not gonna think about it. Bringing us back once again to the question, why? Why keep a gag order on this topic? Why diminish the reports of your own military personnel by sweeping it under the rug? One answer to this probably very complex question may lie in a cryptic message that came from President Eisenhower on his final speech that he gave right before leaving office, where he warned of a military industrial complex that operated outside the confines of the law and profited from war. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Because if you think about it, when Project Blue Book shut down the way it did, the public no longer had any reason to really think about flying saucers invading from outer space. In effect, allowing the military industrial complex to shine the spotlight of public attention exactly where they wanted it to be, the Cold War. Meaning just one thing, more nukes. But just because our government stopped officially looking into UFOs doesn't mean these things just disappeared. In fact, the Soviet Union, the supposed enemies, were having their own UFO-related issues when it came to nuclear weapons too, and in some cases with the stakes being much higher. According to documents that came out after the collapse of the Soviet Union, on October 4th, 1982, a large flying disc appeared over a nuclear base in Ukraine, where it ominously hovered for over an hour. And while soldiers were scurrying around trying to figure out what this 
thing was, alarms started going off as several of their nuclear missiles started initiating their launch sequence. The missile silos started to open, time was counting down, and seconds felt like hours as every person on duty rushed to shut down the nukes. Then, after 15 horrifying seconds, the UFO disappeared, the countdown was stopped, and everything returned to normal. Now, here's the thing. Maybe a lot of these cases can be explained, but if even just one of them turns out to be legit, it would instantly shift how people think of our place in the cosmos. Either way, it's now clear that these things have been zipping in and out of sensitive airspace ever since the end of World War II, and there's nothing we've ever been able to do about it. So who are they, and why do they care so much about nuclear weapons? Robert Hastings, researcher and author of the book UFOs and Nukes, has pondered this question for many years. Over the past 37 years, I have personally located and interviewed more than 120 former or retired military personnel. And after talking to whistleblower after whistleblower, he believes the UFOs have been trying to send us a message loud and clear that nukes are far too dangerous for humanity. That's why in 2010, Hastings organized the first ever UFOs and Nukes press conference that was held at the National Press Club. These craft are sending a signal to both Washington and Moscow. The possession and threatened use of nuclear weapons potentially threatens the human race and the integrity of the planetary environment. The hearing was organized by both Robert Hastings and Robert Salas, where they gathered a handful of whistleblowers to give their first-hand accounts of what they'd witnessed. And after each one of them had a chance to speak, the audience was allowed to ask questions. At this time, we're going to take questions. Tell us what media you represent. That's when one reporter stood up and asked, Mr. Hastings alludes to the fact that there's a message being sent here that we ought to get rid of nukes. How many of you subscribe to that theory? This was an obvious attempt to diminish the testimony of every witness on stage all at once, because the question in itself assumes the motive for these witnesses coming forward has to be the same motive as the UFOs tampering with nukes. I mean, there's no good way to respond to that question. That's why Robert Salas stood up and added his own opinion, saying, What you've heard up here, and especially in my case, if they wanted to destroy them with all the powers they seem to have, I think they could have done that job. So I personally don't think this was a hostile intent. Which brings us to present day. And a striking expose the New York Times has confirmed the existence of a real-life X-Files department. Tens of millions of dollars were pushed through. I don't know, maybe it's a glitch in the hardware. In 2017, a series of leaked videos from the Pentagon showed actual footage of real, unidentified flying objects taken directly from cameras on our fighter jets. But what many people don't know about these three videos is that they were never supposed to see the light of day. They were supposed to sit at the bottom of some unmarked drawer deep inside the walls of the Pentagon until one afternoon when an anonymous official literally smuggled them out before handing them to this guy who was already waiting in the parking lot. His name is Christopher Mellon. He's the former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, and when he got his hands on this undeniable footage, without wasting any time, he hand-delivered them to one of his connections at the New York Times, who ran a front-page article the very next morning, exposing this footage to everyone in the public for the very first time. In the past, we've had farmers say they saw something out there. The burden of proof was on them them to prove that they were extraterrestrial visitations. Forcing the Pentagon's hand to come up with some sort of explanation for these videos. The burden of proof has shifted. Now the Pentagon has to prove that these aren't extraterrestrial. Which took them three years to eventually confirm that not only were these videos real, but they had no explanation for them. The forced confession immediately had Congress demanding more information. The first step in their efforts was the 2022 hearing that we covered earlier in this video. But one year later, in July of 2023, Congress held its second public hearing on UAPs, this time to directly hear the testimony of three specific whistleblowers. The first, Commander David Fravor, who personally chased the tic-tac-shaped UFO, first seen on one of the videos leaked by Christopher Mellon. The second witness 
was Ryan Graves, the naval pilot who personally saw extraordinary sensor data on these hovering black cubes in a clear sphere. And the last witness was David Grush, an Air Force veteran and former member of the government's UAP task force, who ended up becoming the star of the show because only a few weeks before this hearing, he was featured in a tell-all interview on News Nation. Military whistleblower, UFO wreckage recovered by the US. Where Grush was officially blowing the whistle on information he claims to have received while on the UAP task force. You are one of the most trusted former intelligence officials in the US. Yes, I was. You were trusted with the most intimate secrets. Yes. During this interview, he shed light on the fact that there's a very sophisticated government program focused solely on UFO crash retrievals, a program that he claims has retrieved fully intact UFOs that were definitely from a non-human origin. We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. You're kidding. No. So why did Grush decide to come forward? He says it's because while he was working on the UAP task force, he was actually denied access to any information regarding this top secret crash retrieval program. The UAP task force was refused access to a broad crash retrieval program. Which he didn't like. I made the decision based on the data I collected to report this information to my superiors and in effect becoming a whistleblower. Now, I actually watched this congressional hearing live and I gotta say while watching it, there was just something off about Grush's testimony that for me wasn't adding up. And that's when it hit me. Unlike the other two witnesses who were joining him in Congress, and unlike literally every other witness we've already covered in this video, not one of Grush's claims seemed to be coming from firsthand experience. In fact, pretty much every one of his claims comes from anonymous sources that apparently told him these things behind closed doors. Meaning he's never personally seen a UFO. I've actually never seen anything personally, believe it or not. <laughs> he's never personally seen any of these non-human entities. Have you seen any of the bodies? That's something I've, I've not witnessed myself. And he's never actually had access to this UFO retrieval program. I was denied access to those additional read-ons when I uh, requested it. So every word out of this guy's mouth is essentially secondhand hearsay from sources who, by the way, are impossible to verify because Grush doesn't want to reveal their identities due to this information being classified. I can't discuss that in an open session. I can't get into the specifics in an open environment. I can't go beyond what I've already espoused publicly about that. I have to be careful asking that question. And while I don't get the vibe that Grush is straight up lying, I do take his words with a grain of salt. And the thing about him is he's not really a witness, right? He hasn't had any personal encounters with anything. If the government has in fact been covering this up for 70 plus years, then you've got to think that they already have very sophisticated ways of spreading disinformation, discrediting witnesses, and making people look the other way. A prime example of this actually happened in the 1980s, when a man named Richard Doty was working as a counterintelligence officer for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. I'm Richard Doty. There's probably about 80% false information being presented, about 20% of factual information. Unfortunately, the UFO community doesn't know which is which. And upon retiring, he admitted that his primary job was to infiltrate UFO communities by going to conferences and spreading as much disinformation as he could. Back in the early 80s, it was my job to confuse the UFO community. And in one legendary instance, he arranged a meeting with the investigative journalist, Linda Moulton Howe, who at the time was working on a UFO documentary for HBO. The original plan, Linda Howe, was to obtain everything she knew and try to find out what she was going to air in this documentary to HBO and whether we wanted it aired or not. That's when Doty offered to show her a series of top secret documents relating to the entire UFO phenomenon, as well as outlining the government's cover-up of UFOs. Pulled out this manila envelope, pulled out these pages, and as he's handing them to me, he says, you can read these, you cannot take notes, you can ask me 
me questions, but I want you to move from the chair you're sitting in to that chair. Everything that was done there was being filmed by other agents in another room. And I'm looking at the top page, and I'm trying to read what is the most remarkable series of words that probably has ever been handed to me. But the one thing that really blew Linda's mind was what she read on the very last page of the document. These extraterrestrials manipulated DNA in already evolving primates to create Homo sapiens. And I remember reading that sentence over several times, trying to absorb the implication of its meaning. Now, this document has since been released, but due to the fact that Doty admits to personally spreading disinformation, it's hard to know what, if any of it is actually true. We actually played a trick on Linda, not anything that harmed her in any way or anything like that, but we kind of planted something that she ran with, which wasn't factual. I think she realized that maybe she should keep her mouth shut after that. So regarding Grush, as far as I can tell, his background checks out. He really is a veteran who held high clearances in the Air Force. And during the July 2023 hearing, he actually told Congress that he's already had multiple threats against him. Have you had incidences that have caused you to be in fear for your life for addressing these issues? Yes, personally. Yeah. Which surprisingly is another claim that also checks out because shortly after the hearing, all of his private medical records were mysteriously leaked to the media, showing that he once suffered from severe PTSD after serving in Afghanistan. UFO whistleblower Dave Grush, who recently testified before the House Oversight Committee, was at one point referred to a mental health institution in what Grush says is a PTSD-related alcoholic incident. Which from the outside looking in definitely does seem suspicious, so I'll give that as another point to Team Grush. We should be concerned by the fact that somehow his medical records were put out there. Is that the government's effort to discredit him? But as far as any tangible proof for even one of his claims, there doesn't seem to be any, at least not yet. So what do you think? Are we being visited by beings from another planet who are trying to protect us from annihilating ourselves with nuclear weapons? Until we have more transparency and information, hopefully directly from Grush's anonymous sources, it's hard to know for sure. But there's one thing we do know. They are here, they have always been here, and they do not want us using nukes. But in the meantime, one crazy connection that you should probably know about is JFK's interest in UFOs during the Cold War. Not only did JFK want more transparency around UFOs, but leaked documents prove he also wanted to cooperate with the Soviets by sharing UFO information. And just 10 days later, JFK would meet his fate in Dallas, Texas. And I cover the full story in this video right here. This gets wild. Go check it out.